0: Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis, the second chapter verses 15 to 17 and the third chapter verses 1 to 5. Let's listen together for a word from God. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on that day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees in the garden, but God says you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The word of the Lord.
1: I have a stuffed animal myself. Uh, Graham has met my stuffed animal. It's, a, it's actually, I borrow, I borrow it every year from my daughter, Maggie. Uh, it's a stuffed panda named Neville Longbottom who gets baptized frequently every year in our worship and sacraments class at the seminary in New York City. So it's a very wet panda. D.H. Um, uh, Winnicott called that a transitional object. Uh, but what makes us feel safe? That's exactly right. Uh, wonderful, Graham. Thank you. Um, also, couldn't help but notice a, a, a policeman taking somebody out of here a little bit ago, and that was pretty impressive. <laughs> so, uh, that was good. Uncle, Uncle, Uncle the policeman. Um, our second reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel. It's the story of the temptation of Jesus, which occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John. John would never have Jesus be tempted by anything. Uh, uh, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we do have this story. Of course, it is to some degree and to a great extent based on that ancient pre-history story from Genesis of the Garden of Eden. Nobody existed to write all this story down at the time. It's humanity looking back and creating this uh, this narrative to explain the truth of who we are as human beings. That's what we think about these ancient pre-flood stories in the Hebrew Bible, but the, bottom, the sort of kernel of truth is so, I mean, is it true literally historically? I have no idea. Is it true in terms of human experience? You bet it is. We, we wanna be like God, right? That's, the, that's what the serpent said to, to Eve. You'll be like God, go ahead. I think, keep that in mind as we read the story of the temptation of Jesus beginning with the first verse of the fourth chapter in Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, eating nothing, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You can do it. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, way up there, saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord God to to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? May the meditations of our hearts together on your word this morning to us in sacrament, in baptism, in song, in prayer, and in scripture be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Matthew and Luke have birth narratives. We call them Christmas stories. Uh, But really... uh, Jesus gets going as an adult and uh, what we looked at last week, his baptism at the end of chapter 3 of Matthew, and in our reading from the start of Matthew 4 today, we've got Jesus on the job for his very first day of work. Uh, he's ready to go, having been baptized with the best job recommendation you could ever get. The heavens opened up. And a voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Please hire him. Sure. I get asked to write a lot of recommendations, and I never use those words, but okay. This affirmation from the heavens, from the divine, uh, is here in this person. And Matthew, a Jewish author writing to Jewish readers, wants his Jewish friends and brothers and sisters to know that the Messiah is here, the one they've been expecting. And immediately, the story goes off the rails because immediately, the text says, the spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Doesn't seem like what you would have after that grand affirmation. You'd think you'd get on a big white horse and grab a sword and go riding in and take care of the Romans and every other problem that everybody was facing, but instead he is out there in the middle of rural Nevada, something like that, not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's going through this horrible hunger, the tempter, this personification of all that is death and not of God, we call that personification in literature the devil, uh, comes to Jesus and says... You've gotta be hungry, man. If you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. You can do it, you should be able to do it. Now why would the Spirit, who is God, from the Christian point of view, lead Jesus, who is divine as well, the same person, uh, out into the wilderness, a nasty, dry place where there's no life and it's very hard to survive, Uh, The one thing about being in the wilderness when you don't want to be, it's too hot when the sun's out, and it's freezing when the sun's down, and all you want to do is get out of there. Why would the Spirit lead God's own self, God's own son, out there to be tempted by the devil? Graham talked about temptation with the children this morning. Uh, I guarantee you Scarlett is going to face it. Am I wrong? I'm not. I certainly have. Uh, more than once, uh, and not always uh, passed the test, I can tell you that. You know that the Greek word for tempt also means to test, right? If you're a child, if you're a young person, especially around this time of year, in fact, in my class the other day, I, I could tell that nobody had done the readings because it's midterm time, right? So they're very stressed out, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to shuck and jive and figure out a way to make me think they did the reading, but I know, because I did the same thing, right? When I was a student, a lot of us have a negative reaction to the word test. It can bring back uh, memories of stress and uh, you know failure, or maybe maybe success. Who knows? Um, there's a famous joke about a test. A small town sheriff was uh, running out of deputies, so he uh, looked around, and the only person he could find was a nephew, who wasn't the best student, let's say. But you know, he was a good guy, and the uncle, the sheriff, loved this nephew, so he said, I'd like to uh, interview, maybe you could be one of my deputies. So the young man said, sure, uncle, so I've got just three questions for you. And the uh, first question is, the sheriff said, what is one and one? And the young man thought and goes, 11. And the sheriff thought to himself, well, that's not what I was looking for, but you know, he's right thinking then you know, thinking, maybe this is just a mistake, what's three times eight? The young man said, 888, okay. Third question for you, the final question. Do you know who killed Abraham Lincoln? The young man thought for a moment and said, nope, I sure don't. His uncle, the sheriff, said, well, you know what, just go home, think about it, maybe go to the library, check out a book and come back and tell me. So, the guy went home, and his wife said, how'd the interview go? And the young man said, it went great. I didn't do too well on the first two questions, but I guess I'm already on the job.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm in a murder investigation. Think back on some of your wilderness times, the times you've been tested in your life. And I don't just mean academic tests or, or job interviews facing an illness, facing a loss of some kind. Committing yourself to a goal that at the beginning seems insurmountable, especially if you think about doing it all at once. And sitting for big exams after having studied so hard. Uh, I once had a take-home exam um, that I could schedule any time I wanted. I studied so much. I couldn't sleep the night before the exam. Luckily, there were two more days left in the semester, so I just scheduled it the next day, decided to just relax. Next night, couldn't sleep. So two straight nights, no sleep, total stress. Third night, same thing. Now, last day of the semester, no choice, had to sit there and take that exam. And when I took exams, I don't know about you, we used pencils. For three hours at least, we had to sit there and write, you know, your hand ended up like this. Testing is stressful. At the same time, testing is how we learn about ourselves and how we learn what's important to us. Jesus experienced that in this text, and it's fascinating that the gospel writers, immediately after he's affirmed by the divine voice as the Savior we've been expecting moves him into a place where he relates to us and we can relate to him so well. Not just some sort of conquering hero without flaws or human temptations, but a real person as well as a divine personage. Can you see, if you look back on your testing times, maybe they were the worst times of your life. Many people will say it was the worst time of my life and it was the best time too, in a weird way. Dickens had it right, it was the best of times and the worst of times. They tend to go together somehow. But that kind of, what tests give us are the things that we can't get anywhere else. And so today, this morning, I just wanna suggest that for any any real test to be worthwhile, it's gotta have three parts. And this is how Jesus leads us forward in life. He goes first, you might say. One of the wonderful Presbyterian convictions among Protestant Christians and among Christians in general is what we call Jesus of Nazareth, not only Lord and Savior, but also the perfect human response to God. He is both sides of the coin, you might say, as no one else could ever be. Uh, and because of this experience and others, including his death, which is the last step of the Lenten season, Jesus is relatable to us. We, he knows who we are, what we, and he's experienced what we've experienced. There are three temptations in this famous story, right? The bread temptation, and then this idea that, show me your power by throwing yourself off this high mountain, this high pinnacle on top of the, or on top of the temple. Um, how many of you have ever bungee jumped? I have. I'll never do it again, once was enough. The first time I did it, I was just starting out in ministry and when I walked up those stairs with everybody looking at me and I realized I couldn't, turn. it was by the way, it was at Traction Park, New Jersey. Those of you who know what I'm talking about. Talking about. My youth group, was. they thought you're crazy, you're not, we're not going, so I went. As I was going up the steps, the strong feeling I had was it was like preaching a sermon. <laughs> you, you really were going up these steps and you couldn't go back down even though you really wanted to. Uh, and as I was ready to jump and have us jump backwards, I was, gra- I was like really cool about it, but the, finally the young man there with this, you know, kind of, well, act, you know, he looked like a teenager, uh, and he was bored, and he was, and he finally he said, sir, you're going to have to let go of me, because <laughs> I, I, I was not as cool as I thought I was, but it was fun. And the third temptation that Jesus faces is the devil who says, look, I'll give you power over the whole universe, just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, no. You know, in my life, when I've gotten off track, when I've made mistakes, when I've chosen the wrong path, and I still do those things, uh, I think about why I, I reflect, I've reflected on it, of course, there's a lot of regret and remorse, um, but I really think it boils down to two basic human needs that really motivate me, and and I would humbly venture to say all humans, to to give in to temptation, so to speak. And that is, the first need is to survive, simply to live, right? And by the way, I remember Presbyterian churches where there were no sounds of children. They're very small churches. (laughs) And there's nobody in them anymore, right? So that's the sound of life, right? We need to survive we want to live it's so great and the second need i think that really pushes us into the wrong path is the need to be accepted to belong to feel like we are worth something you know and that can be lead us to all kinds of so you know over focusing on achievements or money or sex or whatever it is um, to survive and to be to belong to be connected with other people and i think Strangely, it's at my lowest points when I have taken the wrong path, when I, I'm forced to confront these needs, which uh, when I go down the wrong path don't satisfy for very long, I feel most like myself in a strange way um, because I'm being honest in that moment, just like we did a couple days ago on Ash Wednesday. right? We, can't do it alone and we spend most of our energy and most of our time pretending that we can we pretend to the world outside of us and we pretend even to ourselves but when i have to confront my need for something more than i'm able to give to myself oh what a relief at least for a while and then this amazing gift of knowing that i'm loved that's what is waiting that's what 12 step Uh, experts, those who've experienced recovery from uh, addiction will tell you. It's the bottoming out that is the most honest point. And just like we talked about last week, the prodigal son on his knees and the pigsty long way from his father came to himself, the gospel writer says. It's an amazing phrase. When when we're our true selves, we face the truth that life isn't easy and our Efforts to avoid testing and struggle and, you know, negative experiences have the opposite result. Often it distances us from God farther and farther because we think we should be like God, as Eve did, and go alone. The second thing, uh, along with confronting our full humanness, our gifts and our faults that a test should do, is that a test should tell you a little bit about who you are, you know, Uh, I remember football practices, I wasn't sure I was going to make it to the end, you know. Uh, I remember certain classes, I wasn't sure I was going to make it to the end. Maybe you can remember certain sermons, you weren't sure you'd make it to the end. But somehow, you do. There's a Canadian psychiatrist named Eric Byrne who has a theory that most of us develop over the course of our lifetimes a core story about who we are and our inherent worth. And we develop that core story by the time we're five years old. And we spend most of our life just telling that story in different ways and demonstrating it. By five years old, Burns says, we've developed a core story about whether or not we are lovable or competent or brave or important. And our values and our actions and our choices flow from this core story. Why it's so important to celebrate our children in this community. They don't understand the nuances of the Trinity or Eucharistic theology, but guess what? I doubt you do either, Mm -hmm. and nor do I. But they know what it is to be loved and valued. That's why we're here, that's why we baptize, that's why we worship, that's why we sit through sermons so we can get to the awesome music. So it's not surprising then that a study of prisoners in the federal prison system found that a high percentage of them, and I can speak from family experience, really struggle with the sense of their core story telling a story of value and worth. Uh, people will have, you know, tattoos, born to lose, right? Um, but what if those prisoners had child of God tattooed on their skin or in their minds rather than, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, let me just go play out the story, which whose and I already know again and again and again. You know, in the middle of South Africa's struggle against apartheid, one of the most respected voices for racial harmony and human dignity was that of Bishop Desmond Tutu. Of course, died just a couple, three years ago. Amazing human being, really great person of our lifetime. Uh, But even the closest colleagues of Tutu at times were distressed by his tolerance and moderation, even against all of the hatred he and other black South Africans experienced for so long and still do. And they wished that Tutu would be more aggressive against his opponents. And one of his associates said, at his age, you'd think that he would have learned to hate a little bit more. People have certainly hated him. But there's this problem with Tutu, this man said. He believes in the gospel. He actually believes it. And what this man was saying, his friend of Tutu's, who was so frustrated with him, was an effect that Tutu know, knew who he was, and he remembered his baptism again and again and again. He knew that story was his story, too. That's what we pray for Scarlett this morning. That's what we pray for all of our children, and that's what we pray for each other, and especially the people we haven't met yet, all of God's children everywhere. Tom Long told that story, it's an amazing story. Finally, uh, The third thing, the third part of this test, if it's worth anything, that you experience, just as Jesus did, is that our times of testing teach us what is worth sacrificing for, as Graham was telling the children. You know, if you love someone, you'll do anything for them. I got a call in the middle of a very delicately planned period of sermon preparation yesterday by this young person who happens to be my daughter, to do something which I didn't even know about, but it was so urgent. And I decided to do it. And you're paying the consequences right now. (laughs) There's a story of a a really incredible story of um, Uh, A man I I read about uh, about two weeks ago as I was preparing uh, for the Lenten sort of journey and what we would be talking about, uh, the story is a guy, this guy's name was Chris Bombardier, not Bombardier, but close, Bombardier, uh, who was the first person with hemophilia to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And if you don't remember, hemophilia is a rare blood disorder that prevents a person's blood from clotting. People with hemophilia are at increased risk of internal bleeding and joint disorders. And even a simple cut can be life threatening because they don't stop bleeding. Um, In spite of tremendous risks, and by the way, climbing Mount Everest anyway is something I would never do uh, uh, or even try, uh, Chris Bombardier uh, chose to hike to the top of Mount Everest. And he even had to give himself an infusion of clotting factor during the climb. He was risking his life to make the climb, but he didn't do it for fame or pub- publicity. My guess is you haven't heard his name before. I hadn't. Instead, Chris climbed Everest to raise money for an organization called Save One Life Inc., an organization that helps people in developing countries who have bleeding disorders. A portion of the money also went to the Nepal Hemophiliac Society, Hemophilia Society. And after he completed his historic climb, Chris Bombardier posted the following message on Facebook. For every child who has been told no due to their bleeding disorder. For every patient wondering what his next dose of life saving clotting factor will be and when it will come. For every family who has their plans derailed by hemophilia. For every parent who goes to bed in agony not understanding how to treat their child's disorder and in pain because of their child's pain, for every hemophiliac athlete who waits in quiet hesitation out of fear of injury, which might keep them from achieving their goals, for all of us who are trying to overcome the impossible, this mountain is for you. When you go through a real test, as Jesus does, you find out what's important to you, and you find out what you're willing to sacrifice for. Uh, it is uh, an incredible lesson to learn, and it's important. I think this text tells us to not avoid times of testing, but rather in faith and in trust to follow where Jesus leads us into times where we find out who we are, we learn more about ourselves, um, and we find out what we're, what we're willing to sacrifice for, what really matters to us. Uh, avoiding problems and suffering uh, is not the way to do it. Uh, But to find a faithful way to reach out beyond our comfort zone. We're going to find that moment where we have to face ourselves and realize that, like Scarlett, we're not alone. What a gift that is and will be as we go through this season of testing and as you and I face test after test after test, for after all, what is life? But testing and self-discovery and rejoicing in the good news that we are never abandoned, even in the valley of the shadow of death, amen.